Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So there's something that you may or may not know about your eyes. Um, That every person, every single person has a blind spot in both their eyeballs. Whether you recognize or realize it or not, you do. And it's a blind spot because you, you probably don't actually know about it. It's actually normal for everyone to have those. They're, they're called scotomas. And you probably didn't even notice that you have it because what happens, not getting into the technical details, but what happens is your mind fills in what, what that spot covers with what it thinks should be there. And so it kind of just kind of goes along and, 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 and creates the full picture. And really those blind spots, unless something happens and it becomes more serious, are not inherently worrisome. Um, you can still function and you can do all of the things. In fact, again, you probably would say, well, I don't think I have a blind spot. But that's kind of what the point of a blind spot is, that you don't know that it's there. This morning, as we get into the text, um, I I think that there's a truth here for our lives, and that is that in human life, every person has blind spots, and unlike those scotomas in our eyes, our blind spots are very significant, and they are something to be concerned about. Uh, these aren't only areas of weakness in our lives, but an area of weakness that we cannot see or that we do not believe when somebody else tells us about our lives. So that's why it's, it's actually really disturbing because one, we're not aware of them. Two, we oftentimes reject what other people say because we don't see it. We don't recognize these as an area of struggle because, again, we're not aware of the problem. Therefore, we don't actually know or recognize the danger that we're in. It's kind of like, I think children probably grow up thinking adults are massive overreactors. Because, you know, like we see something happening with a child that we know is they're in danger and we grab them and we yell or we say something or we are all, we are all you know, like hyped up. And they're kind of there going, I don't, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> because they're not aware of what's going, around, what's going on around them or the potential danger that they were in. And, and so the, the thing is that they don't recognize it. And, and so we don't recognize it. We're going to be looking at, at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32 this morning. Um, but again, the, the, the section of Mark in the gospel that we're in started in Mark 8.31, and it began with Jesus really bearing down on a pretty significant theme that runs through today's text, and it actually culminates here in the life of Jesus and the disciples as he talks with them and he walks with them. Because in Mark 8.31, Jesus said very clearly to his disciples that he's going to die that he's going to be crucified, that he's willingly going to die, and that he will rise again. And then he went on to say that if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, then you must, t- you must deny yourself and take up your cross. And, and so Jesus, even though Jesus clearly spells that out, 
uh, and, and the truth is right before the disciples' eyes. The disciples, and I would also say, and we can't really see it because it's a primary blind spot in our lives. We don't really see, I don't think, what Jesus is really saying because we don't really live it out, and it's abundantly clear. And, and so I believe that today is a defining moment for you and for me. This week has been very defining for me as I've been walking through this and had some other experiences as well. And, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in chapter 10 in verse 32. And uh, here's, here's, what we, here's where we catch up with Jesus and the disciples in Mark. It says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they, the disciples, were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. So here, here's the, just the, the, the beginning context of what was going on on the road as the disciples and others were following Jesus. Jesus was walking purposefully to Jerusalem. And then there's the disciples, and it says the disciples were amazed. It says that, see, the disciples, they had witnessed miracles. They had seen intense exchanges with the religious leaders, and they've heard Jesus make these unbelievable claims. They knew something is up, and they can feel it in the air tonight, oh Lord. They've been waiting for this moment for all their life. Um. And then it says there's these other people who are following, and it says they were afraid. So you've got the other people, those following along, there's some fear there. There's something for them feels foreboding. You know, they always feel like somebody's watching them. And then, and then we kind of catch up, and, and Jesus addresses the disciples. It says, in talking to the 12 again, in the middle of verse 32, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise." So here Jesus, probably in the most specific and, and verbally intense way tells the disciples that he's going to die. And so the disciples, with, you know, as they're on these roads with dust-filled lungs and some confusion in their minds of Jesus talking, the disciples hear Jesus talk of his death in detail a third time. If we go back, every time Jesus shares his mission and his future, the disciples start to fall apart. And they start to go off on weird tangents. The first time Jesus mentions in 831, Jesus says he's going to die and Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And then the second time in Mark, when Jesus mentions his death, the disciples are all baffled and then they end up having this discussion amongst themselves about who's the greatest. Because obviously when someone says they're going to die, you obviously just talk about who's the greatest. That just makes sense. And, and so then now this time, finally, Jesus in, in unbelievably clear terms talks about his death and the disciples actually make a completely inappropriate response. 
And so this right here, I think, is the disciples' blind spot. They can't see what is clearly in front of them. They don't see it. They don't get it. I don't know if it's willful or or accidental, but I also think this is our blind spot as well. I think we can't see this either. And we not only have the stories, but we have Scripture's testimony along with it. They either can't or won't understand the cross as it relates to Jesus first and to them second. Three times Jesus talks of his suffering and death, and each time, like this future robot from uh, like a, some kind of sci-fi show in the 70s, they respond with like, does not compute. I can do this all day. <laughs> But there in 35, we we see the response of disciples to this incredible statement in pretty hard words. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. If you are a parent, have you ever experienced this from a child? I want to ask you a question, but before I ask, I just want you to, I want you to say yes. Like, isn't that the greatest context ever? I, I, don't, I can't ask you the question, but I just want to know that you're going to say yes. So I'm going to ask you, but I, I want you to say yes to this, okay? That's like what the disciples are doing with Jesus. Um, Jesus, we want to ask you a question, but we don't want to ask the question until you agree to say, yes, you'll do whatever we ask. And so it says in verse 36, it says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and left side is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So here, James and John, and really the rest of the disciples, as we come to find out, were focused basically on who gets to be leader. That's what they're doing Uh, In the midst of of this moment where Jesus says that that this is going to happen, the the, the disciples start to to maneuver and jockey for position. And James and John come up and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, basically, because of our connection, we want you to give us a position that will communicate authority and importance to everyone around. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just says, I'm going to die, and they say, okay, then can you, we want to know who gets to be leader. <laughs> and, and so here Jesus responds to them, which I'm, I'm guessing, and, and I don't know exactly how Jesus felt in that moment, but I'm just thinking that I would assume he's exhausted from the foolishness of the disciples, I would think that he's annoyed by them constantly changing the subject when he's talking about his mission. I would think that he's borderline just like, I'm done with you because I keep talking about this. It's like something you really want to talk to somebody about, and every time you bring it up, they change the subject. 
And, and, and so I would assume, I would guess that Jesus has got to be frustrated. And so Jesus responds to the request. And he says, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Are you able to drink the cup? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that, that I'm, I'm baptized with? And I feel like when Jesus asks a question like this, because they had to have known, because this is pretty common in, in, in the Old Testament, and they knew the Old Testament, and it's pretty common in the language that the cup was some kind of suffering, and the baptism was, was sacrifice. There was sacrifice and suffering associated with what Jesus is, is asking them about, and they immediately say, yep, we can. I think they kind of over, over, maybe over assumed their abilities and what they could or couldn't handle. So they say, yep, we can. And Jesus responds and says, and you will. But what you're asking for, I cannot give you. I don't know. I, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies, uh, The Three Amigos, where uh, the three amigos are in, in Mexico at the, at the town uh, in, in El Guapo and all of his, his armies there. And they think, the three amigos think it's still a show. And so, so, so they're doing all their lines and, and, and El Guapo and his army's confused. And, and, and Steve Martin's character says to El Guapo, he says, tell us we will die like dogs. And he says, you will die like dogs. And so, and then, I don't know, I feel like this is that moment with Jesus where the disciples are like, yeah, we can do that. And Jesus says, you will drink the cup. Anyway, but, but I mean, it's just, it's that, now you're going to forever associate Jesus with El Guapo. But anyway... <laughs> I think in, in, if there was a sequel, I think El Guapo became a Christian. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, so, so, so here Jesus says, yeah, you will drink that cup, but you don't even realize what you're asking. You don't realize what you're saying and saying you can drink the cup. He's saying that you will suffer and you will sacrifice for me on my behalf and for the sake of the gospel, probably far more than you can imagine that you're going to suffer and sacrifice. But, but he says, but your request is actually out of line. You don't get to ask that question. In fact, I'm, I don't even get to grant that. It's been prepared. God the Father has prepared those, those spots. And so then the other disciples, it says they were indignant. They were angry with James and John, not because like they were embarrassing them. Like, you know, you say to somebody before you go into a context, you're like, just don't say anything that embarrasses me. That's not what was going on. It's that James and John were, they beat us to the punch because we want to be on the right and the left. We want to be the leader. And so if only I would have asked this earlier, if, if I wouldn't have hesitated, but then they went and asked. And so now we're angry because they asked first and now they're going to get to be the leader and I'm not going to get to be the leader. You see, this misguided hope of messianic glory motivating the disciples enables us to see the, this gulf of separation in the mission that Jesus had and the natural aspiration of those who follow him. There's just this huge gap. There's this chasm between what Jesus wants and his mission and what we naturally aspire to because of our nature. Moving on to verse 42, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach, and it says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so here's this moment where the disciples are focused on who gets to be the leader, but Jesus teaches them about what true leadership looks like. And this isn't in the coming kingdom. Jesus isn't saying this is what it looks like in the kingdom of God once it comes. Jesus is saying this is what it looks like right now for you disciples, right now. This is what it looks like. He's not describing something that they haven't gotten to yet. He's saying this is what is right now. This is how you lead right now. Not one day, today. And, and, and it's been interesting because leadership since then to lead like Jesus has been elusive in, in the generations that follow. You know, you go back to the Crusades, and the Crusades were to stop the advance of Islam, but it was at the cost of thousands and thousands of lives, and it wasn't exactly a pure campaign. It was financially driven, and it was arrogantly driven, and, but, but, but that's, what, that's what they did, and that's how they did. Others, uh, throughout other times in history, there was those who led by example as a more passive approach. Like, you know, just, just be an example for Christ, and, 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 and then let people see that example, and then they'll, they'll figure it out. Or others even had avoided it altogether where they opted for solitude or, or devotion to prayer and a life absent from the fallen world. But what's interesting is all these attempts were in the name of obedience to Scripture and the teachings of Jesus, even though they didn't reflect the whole teaching of Scripture or the whole teaching of Jesus. And so the disciples had this perception of what it looked like to have authority and be in leadership. And they got their ideas from what they saw around them. They were ruled harshly by Rome. They saw the corrupt nature of the religious leaders. Therefore, leadership is all about position, connection, and opportunity. You see, they, they decided, James and John decided to capitalize on their connection to Jesus by seizing the opportunity of his death, which would leave them in a position to make changes and shape the world as they saw that it needed to be. That's kind of that's what probably was going on there, is that they saw this as an opportunity. So Jesus put us in charge, put us in places of power, and significance. You see, they saw leadership as either good leadership or bad leadership. But all leadership has gotten the same way. It's that, that you see an opportunity and you get a position and, 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 and you, it's because of the connections that you have. That's, how leader, that's, what, how, that's what leaders do. That's what leadership is. Now, what it comes down to is whether you're a good leader or you're a bad leader. See, they had this this understanding of leadership, it was built by the world around them rather than by the God that they served. 
Authority was about position, about being at the top, and the first to the top gets to make all the rules. And so that's what they were functioning in. Church, if we lead the way that the world leads or that looks like the world, then we are not leading like Jesus. If we are leading in a way that it has to do with our connections and our positions and the opportunities that we have, and we lead in, in a character and in a way that is similar to how the world leads, then we are not leading like Jesus. Because Jesus redefines leadership and authority as he walks with his disciples. Because see, he recognizes his saying, he says that the Gentiles, you see those who have power, they lord it over those who are under them. He says, the, 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 he, 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 it's interesting, I almost think there's maybe even a, a little bit of, of sarcasm maybe in it, but he says, he says, and they're great ones, exercise authority over them. But he says, but not so among you. See, the earthly construct of leadership and authority is temporary and it's based in status and privilege. And Jesus says, this is how it works for worldly authority and the world leadership. And even, even recognizes in that moment that these earthly leaders who are about to crucify him have a very low level authority compared to heavenly authority. They have very little authority, even though they think they have a lot of authority and they lord their authority over others. You see, here's, here's what we need to catch. Jesus isn't asking them to do leadership in a different way. He expects them to. And there's a difference. Jesus isn't saying, hey guys, I want, I want you to consider this in leading from a different perspective. No, he's not saying, I want you to think about this. He's saying, I expect you. It cannot be like this among you. I expect you to lead this way. Jesus doesn't ask us to post differently on social media. He expects us to post differently. And if our post resembles the posts and the way, and the, the way that the world posts, then we're not posting like Jesus. Jesus expects us to lead and to post. And all of these, he expects us to do those things differently. And, and so what does Jesus expect then as he talks to his disciples? He, he, he explains that the earthly way of leadership is directive leadership resulting in forced obedience. In other words, I give a directive and then you obey. And if you don't obey, then there's consequences for your disobedience your lack of responding to my directive. That's how the world leads. That's what authority in the world is. It is directive. It is, I tell you what to do, you do it. If you don't do it, then you're in trouble. And we tend to model our leadership that way, don't we? We tend to think, well, I mean, that's, that's the most efficient way of getting things done, right? But Jesus says, no, that is not the way it works among those who follow me. And he says they lead through service. And this is what Jesus says. He uses very specific words that would bring very specific pictures into the minds of the disciples. He says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
that idea of a household servant, one who serves in a house and takes care of everything that the family wants. They are there to serve that family. When Jesus says, if, if you want to be great, then you must, then, then, then be a servant. He says, then, then just like that household service, which, which wasn't an occupation that people pursued, but Jesus says, if you want to lead and be great, then be a servant. Then he makes it even worse. He says, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of people who are nice. He says, must be slave of all. And just to review, what does all mean? (laughs) All means all. Everyone. Jesus says, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. See, being a slave meant complete loss of autonomy and status. So Jesus, here's what Jesus says to the disciples. Here's how you get what you want, James and John, and the rest of you. You forfeit your own rights to serve all others voluntarily and sacrificially, not your own interests. You serve. You put yourself into slavery to all others. At this point, I feel like there's, there's this thing inside of us that wants to say, okay, but what about this example? Let's, let's look at examples. Let's, let's look at different scenarios. What about if the government is not pursuing God's values, then I fight fire with fire, right? I just go back at them the way they come at me. By the way, what happens when you fight fire with fire? You have more fire. What do you do with fire? Use water. That's what Jesus was saying. Here, here, here Jesus says, nope, there's no changing this in different contexts. And before the disciples can say, okay, Jesus, wait, let's give you some examples of how maybe this wouldn't apply. Jesus finishes his statement by saying, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus right there says, and before you ask questions or try to have a healthy dialogue here of saying why I'm not right in all situations, I just need you to know even the Messiah, the Son of Man, Jesus came to be servant and to be a slave to all by taking on sin and being a ransom for for many who would respond to that. And so there's no room for argument. That's a pretty definitive statement. But here's the problem with that, is that we don't act like that, do we? See, leadership currency in the kingdom of God is found in the sacrificial giving of oneself to others, as is evidenced by the example of G- that Jesus set for all his disciples. See, Jesus' focus was on the cross, not the crown. And so here's, 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 the, here's the thing. Here's, here's where I feel like we have this blind spot. Following Jesus, 
I think our concept of following Jesus is likely not what he's actually calling us to do. I think the way we flesh out following Jesus isn't exactly what he said right here. Because let me ask you this question. In the last nine months, how, how evident has it been in the church of Jesus Christ that those who follow Christ consider themselves servants and slaves? I think that's a blind spot. I think that is a big blind spot. And, and, and so here, I think we pursue what is best from our perspective, and it's often what's best for us, rather than follow Jesus into death. Because that's what he just asked his disciples to do. Like, how many of us woke up this morning, and our first thing was, good morning, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to death this, today. Like, we don't do that. That's not our, that, typically, what we'll probably do, and, and with, maybe without so many words, we basically just say, in the morning, we say, Jesus, give me a great day. <laughs> or Jesus, help today to go smoothly. And, 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 so, and so, look at it this way. If, if, we were, if we were applying for the job of following Jesus... If we, if we saw a posting that said, wanted followers of Jesus, and we went, you know what, I think I want to apply for that position, and we went in for an interview with Jesus, I want to try to paraphrase maybe what his pitch would be if he wanted us to come on uh, to employment and join the company. Because many of us have you know, gone and applied for a job, we've had a job interview, and we go and we talk and we present ourselves, and then the employer if they really want us, they, they give us a pitch of, hey, this is why you would, be, you would be just dumb not to join us and our team here, right? That's what they do. They give you a pitch to get you to close the deal so that you actually want to be a part of that organization. Here's what I think, here's what I think maybe Jesus' pitch would be to those who say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Let me tell you about an opportunity that I want to share with you about becoming a follower of Jesus. And here's the thing, it won't involve using any of your talents or skills because honestly, you have nothing really to offer but your own helplessness. It's actually gonna involve giving up positions of honor and letting everyone else go ahead of you. It'll actually also involve, it kind of one of the requirements of the job is for you to give up your rights and you to choose to become the last of all. And there will be some notoriety because if you do it right, you'll actually get listed in the top 1,000 in Failure magazine. So what do you say? You want to join our team? Like, like how much do we say and respond to something like that to say, yeah, like I'm, I'm really looking for an opportunity or a position where I can, I can not get noticed, that I can give up my rights, that I can choose to go last every time. And I really love Failure Magazine. It's such an encouraging read. <laughs> love to be listed as one of the top failures. But that's really what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? 
Jesus says, this is, what, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what I expect you to do when you follow me. I expect you to be a servant and a slave to all. And it's not just for the sake of being a servant and a slave. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's for lives. It's for salvation. It's because the people that you dislike the most need Jesus' forgiveness. And the only way you're going to communicate to them the love of Jesus is if you put yourself in a position of servant. And I know the things going off in our heads are, yeah, but, yeah, but they need to know that they're wrong. Typically, the people that Jesus made sure they knew they were wrong were the religious elite, those who felt very self-righteous. Typically, to those who were in sin, he handled them very gently. He certainly was honest with them. He spoke the truth. But he didn't set himself up against them, which is the world's method. And often, it's the church's method. You see, this is our blind spot. We fail to see whether intentionally or unintentionally our blind spots of self-advancement, self-defense, making a name for ourselves, having a great reputation, getting ahead, or simply making sure that everyone knows we're right. Because we all know that's the most important thing in life is to be known that you're right. And, and, so, and so Jesus' expectation, what he says is, he says, no, no, I want you to admit helplessness, give up your rights, Take the last place and become the servant of all. Give up everything and follow me. But still, as, as we think and, and wrestle through this, we actually prefer the teachings of Plato over the teachings of Jesus because Plato said, how can anyone be happy when he is the slave of anyone else at all? Which makes sense, doesn't it? How can you be happy if you are in service to someone else? If you are the slave of someone else, anyone at all? But here's, here's the reality, that we are all slaves to something. See, I think we want Jesus without the cross. We want Jesus, but we don't want the cross to come with him. I, I, think, that, I think that we are in this moment, I think this is a defining moment for us as a church family, I felt this week that this week was a defining, kind of a defining week for me. As I, as I thought about this, I, I, worked, I worked on this on Monday. And then Thursday, I had the opportunity to meet with a small group of people who are part of the church in Iran. And it actually, to some degree, it made me embarrassed to be a believer because of how seriously they have to take the call to follow Jesus and how easy it is for us to follow Jesus. 
interesting hearing a story of a husband and wife who became followers of Jesus in Iran. And they had to have a conversation because they had to figure out what they were going to do if they got caught and, and, and they got caught by the government. And they knew that if they got caught and they had this conversation, that if we get caught, the husband will be arrested and taken away and his wife will be raped. And her comment to that was, if that is the cost of following Jesus, then I'll follow Jesus because that's what it costs to follow Jesus. I think we have a blind spot. I don't know if we really are willing to listen to what Jesus says about following him. I think for just, for just a few minutes here, I want to ask you to put aside Put aside your politics, regardless of how much they do or don't match with biblical values. I want you to put aside your politics. I want you to put aside your economy, how money affects you. I want you to put aside what you think about capitalism, what you think about socialism, what you think about the truth or falsehoods or conspiracy or not conspiracy of masks. I want you to put all that stuff aside. Jesus asks the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? And I think that it would be really easy for us to respond with, Jesus, I want you to make these things happen so that my life feels better. But putting all those things aside, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What would you have him do for you? Would the request be, Jesus, I want you to help me to join you in drinking the cup that you have and to be baptized in the baptism that you're being baptized in. Jesus, I want you to help me to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. I think right now is a line in the sand. Because I don't think that the body of Christ, people who follow Christ as a group are following Jesus the way Jesus defines following Jesus. Because it's a blind spot. And this isn't a shame thing. This isn't a you're terrible because. This is a you can't see it. And I would not be surprised that there are those who are listening right now and there's, there's argument coming through your mind. Well, no, if I act like the servant or slave to all, then I'm going to allow evil to continue to do and have its way. What did Jesus say? 
Does he say be the servant and slave to all as long as there's no evil around? He didn't give those exceptions. He didn't say remove yourself from society. He said be in society, serving. And being Jesus. Doing exactly what Jesus did. So many people talk about revival. And I think most of us, when we talk about revival, we want revival because it will make our environment more comfortable for us, ultimately. Because I think in our terms, revival means getting things back on track. But you see, revival does not have a different environment as an end. Revival means that my relationship with Jesus is renewed and restored in spite of being in the same exact circumstances. That's what revival is. And that means people coming to Jesus because you have had revival and other people coming to Jesus because of that with maybe the construct around you not actually changing. In fact, revival is all about Jesus in spite of it getting worse for me. And I think we have to repent of our pursuit of revival because I think often that pursuit is that things get better, not that we are restored with Jesus. And so this morning, this morning, this is what I want to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. But before we do that, I want us to spend some time seeking God. Because we have this blind spot. It's super clear. Yet in a lot of ways, we have either inadvertently or willfully ignored it. So this morning, I would ask you to join me in seeking God in maybe repentance, in asking God what it is that you don't see. Maybe in the next few minutes, you really need somebody to pray for you. You can go ahead and get up and, and, and grab that person and ask them to pray for you. Maybe you need to confess something to someone else that the Spirit is laid on your heart right now. Maybe you just need to, to get on your knees and, and take the next moments and, and ask God to give you the strength to ask Jesus for what matters. There's lots of space in here, and so if you need to get up and go somewhere else or kneel somewhere or, or spend some time praying with someone or, or by yourself or ask someone to pray for you or confess, then, then I want to ask you to do that. The band's going to come up and they're going to play and they'll, they'll worship and sing. But right now, what I want us to do is take this time to seriously consider where we are. Are we where the disciples are? And we just simply want, to, want Jesus to give us authority and power? Or are we going to lead the way Jesus called us to lead?
And so right now, I want you to join me in, in, in whatever that looks like for you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.